Lord, we do thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that your grace has broken the chains of our sin and our fear. We thank you that your grace gives us hope for the future and hope for eternity. We thank you, Father, for your great grace. And for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has made it possible. We pray, Father, that your spirit would guide us tonight and speak to us. And give us wisdom and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we looked at how the Lord is our shepherd. And we explored Psalm 23 in depth. As I mentioned last week, while I was studying Psalm 23, I came across uh, some notes that I had on 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And I've always been astounded that God as our shepherd, the one who chose us to be his sheep, then chose some of us to be his under-shepherds. I honestly, uh, I still think he made a mistake. Uh, I'm, I'm rather astounded at what I get to do. Um, but it doesn't change that he did. Since we looked at who God is as our shepherd, I thought it would be good for us, especially for me and for our elders who are here with me tonight, um, anyone who may feel called to this type of ministry, and to explore what it means to be his under-shepherd, and it's good for the church to know what to expect of us. Don't listen too carefully. So with that being said, we should read our passage, and we'll dive in. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So as we begin, I want to ask the question, what is a pastor or overseer or bishop or elder? Because we see all of these terms in Scripture. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, we read, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. This passage goes on to outline the qualifications of this man. These qualifications include, ready, write fast, or just go back to 1 Timothy 3 and read them. Um, they include being blameless, being the husband of one wife, being temperate, sober-minded, to have good behavior, to be hospitable, to be able to teach, to not be drunk, to not be violent, to not be greedy, to not be quarrelsome or covetous. This man rules his own house well, is not a new believer, and must have a good testimony or reputation among those who are outside the church. This is a really tall order. I, uh, well, I'm not blameless. I um, am the husband of one wife. I got that one. 
temperate? Yeah, I, I always control my temper with the utmost um, failure, <laughs> right? Uh, Sober-minded, right? To have your mind right before God. Good behavior. You get the point. So, as we look at that list, well, nobody would ever be qualified for the position I hold. Uh, or the position John or Pat or Roy hold in our church. Because, well, we're, we all fail at times. A phrase that is popular when we have our elders meetings, I didn't say it today, but it's popular among us, is that we strive for excellence, not perfection. Because the reality is, and God knows this, he knows our frame, that we are dust. He knows our failings, and he provides us grace for that. Uh, it doesn't change that, say, there's a pastor who is, or an elder, who is constantly losing their temper, screaming at, at church members, and, and is out in public getting into fights, and I think then we go back to this list and go, yeah, you've you've disqualified yourself until there's repentance and restoration. Um, but the idea is that, well, we should do a pretty good job as the Holy Spirit gives us grace and empowers us to do so. And this is why James 3.1 warns us that not many should become teachers, for we will receive the stricter judgment. What then is a pastor? or overseer, or bishop, or elder. There are three words in the Bible, uh, specifically in the New Testament, that are all used interchangeably for those we call pastor or elder. They are overseer, elder, and shepherd, and they're translated in with three Greek words. We have the word episkopos, which means overseer or bishop. We have the word presbyteros, or presbyter, it's the most common word for elders. It means to be a member of a council or to hold a place of spiritual leadership. Then we have poimaino. That word is translated as shepherd or pastor, which is the one who is to ex exercise the responsibility or to tend. Each of these words is used interchangeably in the New Testament referring to pastors, elders, or the biblical leadership of the church. All three words apply to that person, and all three words appear in the first two verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. All three words right there, all referring to the same office within the church. So therefore, and this is, this is how I wrote down a definition of pastor, therefore a pastor or elder or bishop or overseer is one who is to share, right? Leadership within the church is always plural. We're going to get to that in a moment. One who is to share in providing spiritual oversight to a local body of believers. This comes with the responsibility of feeding, shepherding, and caring for the flock spiritually, 
while participating in the governance, administration, and council of that local church. Y'all got that? Could you repeat it now? If you want, if you want to write that down in its entirety, uh, feel free to ask me afterwards. Three quick, now semi-quick points that I want to make before we actually move into our text. This is all still the introduction. Are you guys having fun yet? Semi-quick point number one. Church leadership is always to be a plurality. Not one pastor ruling the roost. Yes, I actually wrote that down. Um, but elders who work together with the pastor as one of the elders, taking the greater responsibility for teaching and all the elders working together to care for the church spiritually. There is no place in scripture that promotes solitary leadership within the church. There is not. Nor is there any place in scripture that promotes that churches should vote on everything. Now, for some people who grew up in maybe a Baptist background, this may be stepping on your toes. Because I'll tell you what, the only thing that Baptists love more than potlucks is voting. <laughs> um, and if you have the privilege privilege uh, of going to a meeting at a church that votes, right? Then you got to use Robert's Rules of Order. I call this meeting to order at 7.36 p.m. on Wednesday, February 1st, right? Secretary, can you read the minutes from the last meeting? Minutes are read. I, I need a motion to accept the minutes as read. I motion that the minutes are accepted as read. I need a second on that motion. I second the motion. All in favor of accepting the minutes as read say aye. Aye, the minutes have been accepted. It's a it brings back a little bit of PS PTSD for me because we, we've been in churches that do that, and it is unpleasant. And it's unbiblical. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Now, wise leadership will listen to the input of their church. And when we come up with things or we have ideas and we present it to folks and, and talk to folks. Um, you know, if somebody came to me and said, you know what, this is a really bad idea. I'd be like, oh, well, then maybe we should pray about it. And that's what we do as elders. We, when we come to an idea, if one of us doesn't like it or, or somebody's uncomfortable with it, well, then we don't make that decision. We wait. And we don't make decisions till we agree uh, unanimously. That sometimes means we take a little longer to make decisions, but I also think it ensures that we make the right ones. The qualifications of an elder, this is point number two, the qualifications of an elder or pastor in the exhortation we are about to study are given to human beings, imperfect, sinful human beings. None of us will keep this perfectly, though we are to be an example to the church but we will stumble. We are saved by and need daily the same grace that every believer needs. So don't put me or any of our elders on a pedestal. Uh, please don't put your faith in me. Uh, I will disappoint you. I promise. I still remember I said that the, the Sunday of my interview. <laughs> I was really trying not to get hired maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I remember saying that. I promise that I will mess up. I promise that I will make mistakes. 
So don't put us on a pedestal because the interesting thing about being a pastor is you're still part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body we're called to lead. And so we walk this life as followers of Christ together. Now, I'm going to say something that is quite unpopular in our day and age. Pastors and elders are to be men in the church, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I know this is not popular, and but you've heard me say this before. I'm, I'm not here to be popular. I'm here to teach you the truth. Now, there are two extremes in response to this. The one extreme is to ignore the clear teaching of Scripture. The other is to exclude women from all ministry. And it's wrong. They're both wrong. The only position that is reserved for a man is that as a pastor elder who is an overseer of the local church. In other words, my job. And what John and Pat do as elders uh, of our church. With that being said, women can and should do everything and anything else. Therefore, women can be pastors to other women, can be ministers to children, can minister to younger folks. Uh, women can be worship leaders, have counseling ministries, be part of discipling other believers. Uh, I wanted to have a really good list so I didn't quite sound so misogynistic. But, <laughs> right? But the Bible clearly states that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man. So that reserves the job of what we might call a senior pastor to a man. And even then, I have become a wiser old man than I was a long time ago. I don't ever, that I can think of, do things in the church without talking to my wife. Uh, we as elders, constantly, I, we talk and say, hey, as we pray about this, have your wives pray. Get their input. Because, well, we're human. We can make mistakes. So are you ready to actually get into our text? With all that being said, let's go back and read 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4 again. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So Peter starts with, as a pastor myself, as I am an elder, shepherd, and overseer, and as one who was witness to the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and who partook of the glory to come. Now, that really could be thought of three different ways. One, um, he saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. He witnessed a glimpse of the glory of God. Second, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which means, to an extent, the glory of God dwells inside of us. And third, we have the promise of future glory as we trust in Jesus Christ. However you want to take it, or take it all three, Peter is exhorting pastors to do the very thing that their title implies, to shepherd 
Poema eno, the flock of God. So the word exhort here means to invite, invoke, beseech, call for, or entreat. So he's inviting them, or invoking them, or calling for them, or begging them to do their job. Hebrews 3.13 reminds us that we should exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what is the exhortation? Shepherd the flock of God. To feed and care for the flock is the pastor's job and the elder's job under the chief shepherd. We have a perfect picture of that painted for us in Scripture in Psalm 23, which we studied last week. What's very interesting about that is I'm not the head of the church. And the elders is a plurality of leadership. We are not the head of the church. Jesus is. And as such, we are accountable to him, but we're also part of the flock, which means we're accountable to you, to one another. And I tell my elders all the time, and I tell, I'll tell you the same thing, you see something in me that needs to be called out, please call it out. Maybe not on a Sunday morning in the middle of my sermon, but please call it out, because I promise I'll do it for you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, how are shepherds supposed to shepherd? I love this. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So the first charge um, deals with their motivation and their conduct, or the charge continues as dealing with their, our motivation and conduct. So exercise oversight. Now I'll be honest with you, this is where the relationship between pastors and elders finds most of its tension within the body of Christ. Sometimes you have people who don't want to be overseen. Uh, sometimes you have people who uh, outright despise you. It happens. Sometimes people just disagree with you, and that's fine. Feel free to disagree with me. Um, be prepared to have a Bible verse if you disagree with me. Um, but feel free to disagree with me. But th sometimes that tension happens because we're flawed human beings. And uh, we were talking, I don't remember who I was talking with this about. I was talking with Ralph about this at breakfast this morning. Ralph always comes up on Wednesday nights. And we were talking about this this morning because it's our human nature that the moment someone tells us not to do something, that all of a sudden we really want to do it. Even if we know how dumb it is. It's just the way we are. Now, that doesn't mean we always do it. But is there something about someone going, now, you better not touch that. Right? And you, just, you guys remember that scene in Finding Nemo? <laughs> guys, remember the scene in Finding Nemo where they said, well, I'm going to touch the butt because they, did, they didn't call it a boat. And, and they, they, they swim out and, oh, I'm going to get closer. And finally, Nemo swims all the way out to the bottom of the boat. And Marlin shows up, right, Marlin? Shows up and goes, Nemo, you better get back here. Right, I, I can't. I was Albert Brooks. I can't do his voice. Uh, and he, he, he goes, you better not touch that boat. 
right? His fin goes up. Nemo, I'm warning you. Touch, right? That's, that's us. That's what we do. But as pastors and elders are called to be overseers and shepherds of the flock, the flock is called then to respond to that spiritual leadership. Uh, as I've mentioned several times, it's important to remember that we're not just called to oversee, but we're also part of the flock. And we will give an account to God for how we execute our responsibilities. That's why James 3.1 comes into effect. But Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I can say honestly, there's nobody in the church that I do this with. In the past, when I've been part of other churches, I'll get a text from somebody. I have literally groaned. I have. Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I'm just being honest. I've repented of that. Hopefully they've repented of all the reasons that made me groan. Uh, but that's a different story. Not by compulsion, but willingly. I love this one because we don't do this. I don't do this because I have to in the sense that somebody is forcing me. God respects, um, well, our disobedience. If we choose to be disobedient, he will allow that. We don't do this because we have to, but because God calls and gifts those in this position. And you respond to God's call with a willing heart of surrender. 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 15 tells us that the love of Christ controls us, compels, constrains, or motivates us. Because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I remember, uh, I, I never talked to this pastor in person um, but I heard the story about a man who became a pastor because his father told him he had to, because his father was a pastor and because his grandfather was a pastor. And so he went to seminary and, and, and he did all the things and got ordained in his father's church and hated it. Hated it. Always felt that he was gifted for business. One day, he had enough. He walked away from the church started a business, became a millionaire, and then started using that money to fund missionaries and whatnot all around the world. Because that was God's call on his life. That's how that works. I know what my call is. Nobody makes me do it. I love it. Most of the time. Their conducts has two parts here at the end. Um, oh, I forgot dishonest gain, didn't I? Anyways, I haven't, but I remember. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples. Right? Pastors and elders are not to serve for greed or for power. Not for shameful gain, which is greedy, but eagerly, which is willing. 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, one of the, the uh, qualifications of a pastor slash elder slash overseer is that you are not a lover of money because 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? The love of money is not the root of evil. 
It's the root of all kinds. Money, sorry, the money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. How many pastors have fallen because of a love of money or a love of power? Many. That's why Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Not being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples. Now, we're going to talk about the difference between being a lord and being an example in a moment. But something that strikes me and something that I take very seriously is that every person who God makes part of our flock has been entrusted to me and to my brother elders. Let that sink in for a moment. Right? Our children are entrusted to us. And we want to do a good job raising our children. But ultimately, they're our children. And they don't have a choice. Right? What's, what's the old saying? You can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. But for those who choose to come to New Song, for those that God has brought here, for those that God makes part of our family, they're entrusted to us. That humbles me, and it scares the snot out of me, just a little bit. Okay, it scares the snot out of me a lot. Because we're not to be lords over those entrusted to us, but to be examples. Pastors and elders are not, quote-unquote, in charge. Love it. Roy, Roy he, he doesn't do it so much anymore, but he used to say, well, you're the boss. I'm like, no, I'm not. Don't, don't do that to me. I am not the boss. Um, we are called to lead according to the grace, power, and guidance of God, but to do so as servants. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And there are too many pastors who for some reason skip over this and they get the idea that the church is their church. They get the idea that the church is their little kingdom. They get the idea that the people in the church are then their subjects who better bow down and do what they're told. They get this idea that they are in charge, that they are the ones with the power because, well, don't I have the anointing of God on my life? Well, if they're even kind of doing their job, everybody in the church should have the anointing of God on their lives for what God has gifted and called them to do. Not just me, not just the elders. I want all of you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I will tell you, I was praying for the church this morning as I want to do as part of my job. I was praying for the church this morning and one of the things I prayed for our fellowship, for our family, is that you would all be filled with the Spirit of God to overflowing to the point 
that the Spirit of God is pouring out of you into the lives of those around you. I prayed that for you. Because I'll tell you what, I don't want to do it by myself. I don't, I don't even want us as the elders to do it by ourselves. We do it together as a church. And the only way that's going to happen is if we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are all walking in the purpose and gifting that God has called us to be. And you have pastors who get this idea that they are in charge. Who get this idea that it's their church. Now I claim ownership of the church because I'm reminded that it's been entrusted to me. I claim ownership of the church because I want to be a good steward over what God has entrusted. But it's not my church. It's not even our church. It's his church. We are all his people. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So instead of me walking around with my scepter, I mean, if I had a scepter, I'd hang it on my wall by my sword and axe. But, I, <laughs> you know, it's not me walking around like that or the elders coming up and commanding all of everybody else what to do. But no, it's being example. And I love this word example because it means to offer a pattern for the church to follow. Not a perfect pattern, but a pattern. If I call you to pray and fast, then I had better be praying and fasting. If I call you to get closer to God by reading the Bible, I had better be reading the Bible. And, and not just sermon prep, but my own time. If I'm calling you to share the gospel with people in the community, then I'd better be sharing the gospel with people in the community. Right? If I ask you to clean the church, then I better be willing to do it too. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul wrote, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Some people go, oh, well, Paul was being awful full of himself, right? Obviously, I'm, I'm following Christ so well that you should then imitate me. I don't think that's what Paul was saying. I think Paul was saying, when you see me following Christ, then you should imitate that. Because Paul talks about being himself. He knew he was a sinner. Right? If you see me doing something good, feel free to imitate it. If you see me doing something stupid, feel free to call me on it. But my job is not to rule. My job is to serve. And it's the same with our elders. It's really the same for all of us. But my calling to be a pastor wasn't a calling to power or prestige. It was a calling to wash feet. And if you ever hear me say, sometimes I will jokingly say that something isn't my job. That's usually just because I don't want to do it. Um, but if you ever hear me say, well, you know what, I'm the pastor, I'm not going to do that. Just feel free to confront me on it, and if I don't repent, fire me. Because that's not why I'm here. In verse 4, Peter writes, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Oh, I love that statement, right? All the rest of it. It's a little hard to listen to, right? Because I know what that means. I know what it means for me. I know what my responsibility is, and I know that I sometimes fail. 
But if you hang on, you don't screw up too bad. When the chief shepherd appears, you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, when does a pastor slash elder's job end? When Jesus, the chief shepherd, returns. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable according to scripture. Uh, this is why I have no plans to retire. I'm going to go to church every Sunday until I die or Jesus comes back. So I might as well be the one to preach, at least some of the time or most of the time or something like that. I, don't, I have no desire to retire. I hope I die doing this. I really do. I hope one day I'm up there preaching and, and, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and my heart stops and I go home. That's what I hope happens. So the pastor or elder's job ends when Jesus, the chief shepherd, returns for all of us or for us as individuals when we die. That's why Titus 2.13 says we are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why Luke 19.13 says he called ten of his servants and he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. And what did the faithful servant hear at the end? Well done, good and faithful servant. And to be honest, I want a lot of things. I know not all of them are God's will for me, and that's why I don't have them. But there's one thing I want above all. I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Because it comes with an unfading crown of glory. The crown we receive from God does not fade away or diminish 1 Corinthians 9, 24, and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 15. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And I'm not going to read all that passage for time. Highly encourage you to do it. But the end of it says, now if anyone builds, right, well, it says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if you build on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. See, that day is going to come when we're going to get that crown, and I think the gold, silver, and precious jewels are going to decide what goes into that crown. The wood, hay, and stubble, right? So those are the things that we do according to the will of God with the proper motivation. The things that are wood, hay, and straw... Those are things that we do. Maybe they're according to the will of God, but we do it for the wrong motivation or the things that we do that are not according to the will of God, things where we're disobedient. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but if I came up here to preach, to build my kingdom, I don't deserve a reward for that. If I get up here to preach to build his kingdom, well, that's a different story. So pray for me. But that day will come. Now, I did this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rattle these off real quick. Because there's a number of crowns in the Bible. 
Uh, there's the crown of life in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. The crown of glory that we just read about in 1 Peter 5.4. The crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. We have a crown of boasting in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Um, we have a crown of thorns in John 19.2. We don't ever have to suffer that. We have a crown of beauty in Isaiah 62.3. The crown of grandchildren in Proverbs 17.6. John I'm not going to pick on my girls. Uh, the crown of gray hair in Proverbs 16.31. Some of you have already gotten your crown. I shave my head because I don't want that crown to show. The prudent are crowned with knowledge in Proverbs 14.18. A wife is the crown of her husband in Proverbs 12.4. And God crowns us with steadfast love in Psalm 103, verse 4. What do we do with our crowns when we get there? Well, according to Revelation 3.11, we're supposed to hold fast to what we have so that no one takes our crown. And then in Revelation 4.4, 4, and then in verses 10 through 11, when we bow before the throne of our God, we cast our crowns before him. Because ultimately, I don't care how big and fancy it is, it will be nothing compared to the glory of God. So as we close, I have a great quote from... Warren Wiersbe. It is not an easy thing to be a faithful shepherd of God's sheep. It is a task that never ends and that demands the supernatural power of God if it is to be done correctly. What makes it even more challenging is the fact that the flock is not the shepherd's, it is God's. I sometimes hear pastors say, well, at my church, and I know what they mean, but strictly speaking, it is God's flock purchased by the precious blood of his son. Acts 20, 28. We pastors must be careful how we minister to God's sheep because one day we will have to give an account of our ministry. But the sheep will also one day give an account of how they have obeyed their spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. So both shepherds and sheep have a great responsibility to each other. Now, I have outlined my responsibilities. It's good for me to remember them. Uh, you'll find about a hundred different variations of what I'm about to share with you. And um, it's really selfish on my part, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because there are a lot of lists of what pastors need from their flock. And I can say with great honesty that I'm not telling you this because I want you to feel guilty, because no church family has ever loved and cared for me the way New Song does. Ever. But I lay these out as a reminder of how much I need you as my faith community. So here's eight responsibilities I found. I added a ninth. Responsibility number one, to appreciate your pastor, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. Number two, to esteem them. Same passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. To obey them, Hebrews 13 and 17. Number four, to submit to them, also Hebrews 13, 17. Responsibility number five, to support them, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Responsibility number six, to discipline them, 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Keep me accountable. Number seven, remember me in prayer. Oh, please. Number eight, to follow my example. Well, when is a good example, that is. 
The last one, the one that I added, that actually I didn't find on, I found it I think on one list, but it said it differently than this, is to care for my family, care for my wife and family. Because I have said it a thousand times, um, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, that they have a harder time than I do, that their calling is greater than mine. Because being a pastor, i got to put up with you. They have to put up with you and me. And for, as you guys know me, that's a lot. But like I said, this isn't to make you feel guilty. I, I feel loved and appreciated. Um, I do. I really do. But don't forget. Now, one thing I'm going to add real quick, and I'm just going to highlight a couple because I, I did this uh, out of curiosity more than anything, um, is the statistics, and I hope maybe somebody listening online or somebody who listens to this recording later, the statistics. Uh, 250 pastors leave the ministry permanently every month. It's 3,000 a year. And that's not going from one church to the other, that's not a sabbatical. That's not taking time off. That is, they leave and don't come back. 42% of pastors in the ministry have considered quick, quitting. The top three reasons, stress, 56%. Loneliness, 40%. Political division in the church, 38%. Isn't that crazy? 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 80% will not be in ministry 10 years later. Only a fraction make it a lifelong career. And on average, a seminary-trained pastor lasts five years or less in the church. I'm going on year 18. I had a break. You guys all know about my break, but I'm going on year 18. I'm beating the statistics by God's grace. 91% uh, have experienced burnout, 70% uh, fight depression, 80% believe ministry has negatively affected their families. I would love to say that's not true of me, but not here, but in other places. Well, e even here, because sometimes the stress of what I do, I take home. I shouldn't, but I do. 80% um, of ministry spouses feel left out and unappreciated in their church. Now again, I don't think that happens here. I know it doesn't, but it does happen. I have a bunch of others. I'm not going to read them all. Um, but it's, it's just crazy. Because my job's hard. I, I don't do it alone. I have three wonderful men who support and encourage me. I have a whole church that supports and encourages me and my whole family. But I would be lying to you. I, I mean, this, this is what I'm called to. And every time I step in the pulpit, I remember that. And every time I sit at my desk to work on a sermon, I remember it. And every phone call, and every text, and every counseling appointment, and every encounter in public, and, and, and I remember it a lot. God is gracious because I know 
I can't shoulder this. Even the elders, the four of us, we can't shoulder it because we weren't meant to. That's why it's his church. We're, we're responsible to be faithful to what he's called us to, but he's responsible for the results. And I am truly grateful for that. Now, with all that being said, we're going to pray and we're going to close. And um, next week, we'll start 2 Samuel. Father, thank you. I do thank you, Lord, for the calling on my life. I don't want to take it for granted. I don't want to treat it lightly. And I, I pray for myself and for my brothers who are my fellow elders here at New Song that you would give us the grace and the wisdom and the supernatural power of your spirit to execute the calling that you've given us. I pray for my brothers around New Song, not New Song, around Gunnison and Crested Butte and pastors who I've known over the years. And I just, Lord, I ask for your love and your mercy and your compassion to be upon each of them. I pray that in all we do throughout the rest of our week, that we would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.